I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to the Boxing for Free podcast. It's been a while since you've heard me. I took something of a little summer vacation. Didn't do much of it while I was not making podcasts. Just spent a lot of time working. But there was a card last night on PBC on Fox that we're going to be talking about, as well as some other boxing news. So let's get it started. And yeah, the uh, the card got started last night with... Uh, where was this fight? Frank, yeah, Frank Sanchez Fuare versus Victor Bisbal. Uh, Bisbal looked like he was following uh, following the diet that I had discussed in a previous podcast, where I just saw Andy Ruiz and I decided that I was going to get really big and fat, and that would make me a better fighter. It looks like that's what Biz or Bisbal's plan was. Okay, because it, I looked at this guy and, and I'm just thinking he's got bigger boobs than Andy Ruiz. Meanwhile, Sanchez actually looked to be in good shape, and he clearly showed it because he dominated Bisbal over four rounds, and after the fourth round, his corner just decided, okay, uh, that's enough, Bisbal's out, and yeah, not not much of a a great fight, to be perfectly honest. Uh, You know, Bisbal, he looked gassed by the second round, and what was worse was that his trunks were falling down, and like... I felt so bad for the audience because I thought they're going to be exposed to the crack of his ass, possibly even the whole thing, and I don't think they want to see that, okay? They want boxing, not the worst strip show they've ever seen. And I'll be honest, I was kind of disappointed. You look at a big guy like Bisbal, and you think, okay, this guy's clearly not in shape. He's there to get knocked out. You know, you want to see him fall, but at the same time, it's probably a good thing that he didn't because I am worried that the shockwave he would have created might have killed some of the people in attendance. You know, that plus the combination of seeing the crack of his ass. I mean, the the audience shouldn't have to suffer, especially the audience who's there live. But, uh, yeah, Frank Sanchez improves his record to 13 wins, no losses, 11 wins by KO. Victor Bisbal goes down to 23-4-0. Bisbal, this was the third fight he's had in uh, three years. Sorry, this was the second fight he's had in three years. And I guess his last fight just went a little over 60 seconds. So I I don't know what he was thinking coming into the ring the way he did, but uh, I I don't know. He's 39 years old. I doubt that he was in any sort of position to get a title shot at this point. It's kind of like, well, you know, you're a contender. Let's look at it that way. You're a contender. But um, Sanchez, he's a defector from Cuba as well. 27 years old. He says that he wants to fight with Deontay Wilder. That, that, That could be interesting, but I'm not sure if he's quite ready for that yet. Moving on. Okay, now this next fight on the card was probably the best one of the evening, in my opinion. Sebastian Fundora, who came into the ring with a record of uh, 13 wins, 9 wins by way of knockout, no losses, undefeated, against Jamonte Clark. Clark has or had a record of 14 wins, 1 loss. That uh, loss came in August of 2018. These are 154-pound fighters, but the, the vast difference in height between them was astounding because uh, Clark was six foot two so that's 188 centimeters sebastian fundora is six foot seven and a half inches 
I'm looking at this guy. He's 21, and I'm like, this guy is just 154 pounds? He's almost seven feet tall, and he is thin as a rail, and he he's able to make 154 pounds? I mean, Tommy Hearns would be proud of this guy. And he, he's got an 80-inch reach over... Oddly enough, uh, it, it they, they both had the same reach. But you're just looking at them, and you're thinking, how is Clark going to be able to get in on in on this guy but it was actually a very competitive fight you know it, it had these ebbs and flows and you know I, I thought that um Fundora won two of the first three rounds I, gave, I think I gave the second to Clark but then I also noticed that he was getting a bit tired he would throw out his jab and they were both southpaws but every time that uh Fundora would throw his uh, jab out he would drop it and bring it back Instead of just shooting it out, bring it straight back. Shoot it out, bring it straight back. He wasn't doing that. And this was something that I was puzzled about. They were both southpaws. They were both moving to their rights. And I never understood that because years and years ago, I was taught by Mary Spencer that if you're a southpaw like I was and you're fighting another southpaw, what you want to do is move to your left and just keep turning, throw throw your jab over his, get in like a position where you're constantly moving, you're making them turn because of your movement, and just throw that jab left hand, and they won't be able to touch you, that's what I did in a sparring session, and the guy couldn't lay a glove on me, and I, I was just wondering, how come these guys aren't moving that way, maybe there's a difference between the pros and the amateurs, obviously, but it, it just wasn't making sense to me. And what wasn't also making sense to me was how Clark was... I, I think Fundora was a bit surprised that Clark was as game as uh, he was because I think a lot of people looked at Clark and just thought, okay, well, this is a guy who's come in to make the undefeated Fundora look a lot better. But Clark was not there to be an opponent. He was there to get the victory. That was what I loved about it. I mean, there were points where it's like, okay... This is where Fundora is starting to take over. But then Clark starts fighting back with such vigor. And, you know, it was a real back and forth fight. And I think by the eighth round, the unofficial score on PBC, he had it a draw. I had it a draw at that point. And then the ninth round, this was the part that was frustrating to me. And if you were following me on Twitter, you know what happened. But the ninth round ends, and then all of a sudden, the screen goes black. And I was like, oh, did did something happen to the cable? I, I take a look at the cable box. Everything's fine. There's no problems with the internet, nothing like that. And I thought, oh, maybe did the TV suddenly die? I mean, I, I did buy this TV years ago. It's secondhand, but, you know, is it still working? Click. And, you know, I, I just select a random channel and I get taken to uh, public television, freaking PBS. And I'm like, okay, so obviously the Lawrence Welk show is playing on PBS. What the heck is going on with PBC on Fox? And I'm a bit worried. I'm thinking, well, gee, what do I do now? Do I, you know, just sit here and wait like a moron watching a black screen? Or do I go back to the Lawrence Welk show? I'll admit, I'm, you know, I can be uh, quite dorky sometimes. Hey, wh what's going on on Lawrence Welk? And yeah, I can be a bit lame at times, but I'm not that pathetic that I'm going to say, you know what, forget about boxing. 
I want to watch Larry Hooper and Harmony sing Cab Driver. Cab Driver, drive by Mary's place. I just want a chance to see her face. Don't stop the meter, let it race. Cab Driver, drive by Mary's place. Okay, you know what? I'll admit, that is a catchy tune. And I'm just thinking, maybe I need to turn something on and off again? No, it's not that. It's the freaking channel. The Fox Spokane uh, outlet. This was, uh, again, I'm living in a different country and I'm getting these American channels, but uh, this was Fox 28 in Spokane, Washington. And it just goes, it, the screen just goes black. There's no sound, nothing. Almost kind of like it was off the air. And then when it finally comes back, the 10th round is over. I see that Clark has jumped on the on the ropes. He's celebrating. You know, Fundora kind of has this uh, look like, ah, oh, you know, I, I hope I get the decision. But maybe a, a feeling that he gave away or that he may have lost the fight. Clark's corner was telling him, hey, you know, we need these next two rounds. They knew how close it was. Maybe Fundora knew as well but he also knew that he didn't get it but i thought oh well how am i supposed to know who really won now in my own heart so i just thought whatever you know what it was probably a close competitive fight whoever wins i will probably be happy and so they go to the scorecards ladies and gentlemen after 10 rounds of action we go to the scorecards we have a split decision here are the score totals Judge at ringside, Kyle Sheely scores about 98 to 92 in favor of Sebastian Fundora. Judge Tim Cheatham sees about 96 to 94 in favor of Jamonte Clark. And judge at ringside, John Mariano scores about 95, 95, even a draw. The decision is a split decision draw. Now, it's probably not the decision that a lot of people wanted, but based on what I saw, again, blaming you, Fox 28 Spokane, uh, I, I can't be too upset. It, it was a very competitive fight. I was very pleased that Clark, even though a lot of people probably just saw him, again, as the opponent, just come in, make Fundora look good. I was happy that he wanted to take the fight to him, that he wanted to win. But I gotta think that maybe Fundora's stock might have gone down in this because people probably looked at all the physical advantages that he had. He's a taller guy. He's obviously bigger. He's got this huge reach that maybe he should have done more and maybe he should have. But, you know, that's not for me to say. Obviously, I would like to see a rematch. I'd like to know if these guys can make any adjustments because, uh, you know, d d despite the outcome, it was a good fight. I don't understand that uh 98-92 scorecard there's no way that uh fundora won eight out of ten rounds I, I just i can't see it that way the other scorecards i don't have a problem with i don't have a problem with it being scored a draw because again based on what i saw very close fight and even uh the unofficial judge for pbc said you know what this is a tough fight to score so you know, not, not obviously the outcome that we wanted, but it's the outcome we got. And maybe on the next PBC on Fox card, these two will fight again. Moving on. Now, Fundora versus Clark 
was the best fight of the night. The best performance of the night obviously goes to Arislandi Lara, who just obliterated Ramon Alvarez in two rounds. It was a mismatch the moment it was announced. You know, a lot of people recognize that. I am not going to put any blame on Arislandi Lara at all for this being a mismatch, okay? He does not get to pick who he wants to fight. Otherwise, he'd get the fights he wanted, like a rematch with Canelo or a a shot at Gennady Golovkin, which he's talked about before. But instead, this was a uh, fight for the vacant WBA junior middleweight regular title because Julian Williams has the super championship, and oh my god, I feel like my brain's going to explode just trying to explain the... uh, the, the sheer stupidity of these sanctioning bodies with regular titles and super titles. It's just, shut up! Who is your champion in this division? It's either this person or this person. It can't be two people at the same time. Alright? Just stop it. <clears throat> anyway, there was a bit of controversy before the fight even started because this fight was for the junior middleweight title. Not going to get into whether it was a regular or super title or not. Just the junior middleweight title. 154 pounds. Ramon Alvarez weighed in at 158 and a half pounds. He showed up an hour late to the weigh-in. He steps on the scale. He's flexing his muscles. And then it's announced, oh, you're four and a half pounds over the limit, fat boy. You, I'm sorry, you should not be flexing your muscles like you're some proud, dedicated boxer who's come in ready after making the sacrifice and all that. No! Okay, you really shouldn't, especially when you know that you're over, alright? You should just be standing there, kind of looking down, almost ashamed of yourself, but don't be flexing your muscles. Come on. Disgraceful. And then, this is where it gets very interesting. Oh. Uh, now, Ramon Alvarez is the older brother of Canelo. I believe they said he's four years older. Uh, one of a, Another Alvarez brother was training him for this fight. He, he was in charge of the boxing. And he said, oh, well, you know, I was just in charge of the boxing. We brought in a nutritionist, and, and he didn't do his job properly. But then during the fight, Heidi Andrel said that she spoke to uh, Canelo, or not Canelo, sorry, but to one of the Alvarez brothers, And they said that the reason he came in so heavy was because of a scale. You see, they brought a scale with them to to monitor his weight, and it wasn't calibrated properly. Now, hold on one second. Don't go anywhere, everybody. I'm I'm just going to grab something. Hang on. Got it. Okay. All right. So, at my feet is a scale that I bought at Shoppers Drug Mart in about 2014. I don't know. This is not a difficult device to operate. So, I am offering my services to the Alvarez family, all of them. I think there are like seven brothers or something like that, and they all box. Apparently, talent doesn't run in the family. Yeah, if the Alvarez brothers want to borrow my scale, you know, they they are more than welcome to. It's a great piece of Canadian engineering. I think, I mean, 
I'm, I'm looking for something anywhere on here that says made in China or something. But you know what? Shoppers Drug Mart is a Canadian company. I'm very, very certain that this was made in Canada. And the nice part is, is that, you know, if it looks like it's off, there's a little knob that you can turn to kind of set it back to zero to kind of recalibrate it. And here's another way to find out if your scale is working or not. Now, I'm sure that maybe Alvarez doesn't use a lot of weights in his training. I, I know that a lot of boxers don't, but he must have like maybe a small dumbbell, like maybe just a two pound one to hold in his hand while he's shadow boxing in the ring. You know, I used to do that. Why not just take a two pound dumbbell, put it on the scale, and if it, the scale is saying that this two pound dumbbell weighs half a pound, maybe recalibrate your scale. Or, and okay, I know this is probably going to break the piggy bank, but maybe go to, I know, okay, you don't have a shopper's drug mart in Mexico or America, certainly not, but maybe go to a Rexall. Okay, I know you got those. We have those in Canada. Just go to any drugstore or Walmart. I mean, good Lord, those are everywhere. And buy a scale, okay? Like, the most you're going to pay is 15, 20 bucks. Like I said, it's been years since I bought this scale, and it served me quite well, you know. Either way, it's here for the taking if you want it, Alvarez Brothers. I mean... I don't understand this. It seems that whenever something happens to the Alvarez family and they should really take responsibility for this or be put under a lot more scrutiny, they have an excellent reason for why they are not to blame. Canelo Alvarez, you know, he's getting ready for his rematch with Triple G last year. And then all of a sudden he tests positive for Climbuterol. A performance-enhancing drug, and what does he say? Oh, you know, it, it was this, it was this tainted meat that I, oh, the, the, the tainted meat I've been poisoned. Oh, you know, my meat has betrayed me. Probably won't, not going to be the last time that happens. But oh, my meat, my meat, and it's like I told Oscar De La Hoya on Twitter before he blocked me. I asked him, you know, if Canelo's making all this money from these fights, why the hell can't he buy some Alberta beef? You know, that that's some of the best beef on God's green earth, and you're gonna, you're just gonna sit by and let him eat this Mexican meat that you know is probably tainted. And also, how does this this tainted meat get past two people who are butchers, his trainers? Okay, the Roseo brothers, weren't weren't they butchers? I mean, I've I've heard that before. Unless they were lying about it. I don't know, but... Oh, God. And now, Ramon Alvarez saying, Oh, well, you know, it was the uh, the, the nutritionist's fault that I came in overweight. And also, I was so fat that I broke my scale. I mean, the scale wasn't working properly. It's like, come on. Yeah. Oh. Not professional in the least. And I, I was very glad that at the start of the broadcast... The uh, the broadcast team of Joe Goose and Lennox Lewis, you know, they, they, they were really taking it to Alvarez. They were saying, you know, this is unprofessional. Even Lennox Lewis was saying, you know, I never had to come in at a weight limit. I was a heavyweight. I never had to make weight, but I always tried to come in at the best shape that I could be. 
And, you know, this is just really unprofessional of Alvarez. Sorry, I put my foot on the scale. So, Lara gets into the ring. The American Dream, this Cuban defector who came in with a record of, I believe it was 27 wins, or sorry, 25 wins, 3 losses, 15 wins coming by way of knockout. He had not won a fight since, uh, I believe it was October of 2017. And since then, he had a he lost a close fight to Jared Hurd. He had a uh, draw with Brian Carlos Castano, but now he has a chance to get back the junior middleweight title with this victory over Alvarez. And I thought Lara is has got to be careful because Alvarez he's got that extra weight on him. I mean, ever since the weigh-in. He put it on, I believe they said it was like 18 extra pounds. So this guy comes into the ring at cruiserweight. He was 177 pounds. The light heavyweight limit is 175 pounds. This guy, he is supposed to be a a junior middleweight, 154 pounds. He has literally blown up four weight classes. Joe Goosen was saying, you know, maybe we should go back to the days of having the weigh-in the day of the fight. I, I, I just could not believe this. And I knew that Lara had to be careful because that extra weight, he would probably feel it. And oddly enough, as soon as the fight started, um, Alvarez kind of landed a, a a right hand that kind of sent Lara back. Not sent it back flying, but you could tell that Lara probably felt the power. Or rather, the extra weight that Alvarez had. And so he, he's got to be cautious. But I was a bit surprised by Lara's uh, his output. And I know that a lot of people uh, say that Lara is a boring fighter. He's not that exciting. Um, also, this really annoyed me. Both Joe Goosen and Lennox Lewis, they kept referring to Lara as Laura. Okay, now maybe I've been permit, uh, mispronouncing the name all these years, okay? But I thought the name was Arislandi Lara. They're kind of they're they're watching him saying, "Oh, Laura just landed a good right hand. Oh, Laura's got to be careful because Alvarez, you know, has got that extra weight." It's like, is his name Lara or Laura? I'm gonna go with Lara because that sounds a bit more masculine. And either way, I'm not gonna get into that. That's gonna get me in trouble. But um, either way, at the end of the first round, I scored it. Uh, 10-9 for Lara. He got caught with that one shot and landed nearly all of his. But again, I was surprised at the at the lack of output. I thought, you know, maybe pump the jab more. Try, try to get an opening. And uh, so the second round begins. And again, it's not the greatest output, but I noticed that Alvarez's jab just slow and sloppy. And he, he had a look on his face of somebody who just did not want to be there. Like you couldn't see the the, the heart of the, the 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 heart of a champion in him. I mean, obviously he's not. You could, you couldn't see the eye of the tiger. Nothing. And then again, this is all about the output. But then I were, as I was starting to type, I was starting to type something on Twitter about how Laura. If you're surprised about his output or lack thereof, Laura's a patient fighter. He's going to wait for that perfect opening, and as soon as he sees it, he's going to go for it. And just as I'm typing that, Lara lands a left hand, and then he lands another one, and that sends Alvarez into the ropes. It almost looked like he was going to fall through them. Make sure that you're not overweight. And Alvarez, oh, oh, oh. Alvarez, he's out of the 
his feet. No, he's not. No, he is out on his feet. The rope saved him from going down. Yes. And believe me, he's going to get knocked out right here. And I can agree with both uh, Joe Goosen and Lennox Lewis. I, I, I kind of thought, well, is he on his feet? No, no, he's not out on his feet, but he's about to be. And Laura, Laura did not go rushing in. He took his time. It's, it's like a, like a, like a lion stalking prey. He's, he's just waiting for the right opportunity. And if you watch the fight, that, that's how Laura did. He, he's, he's not, he's not being careless. He knows that. A hurt fighter can be dangerous, but he also knows that he's got uh, he's got his head clear and that there's nothing wrong with him, so he's got to attack now, and that's what he did. I think he landed 17 unanswered punches before the fight was stopped. Hey, Laura, Alvarez needs to move his head. He's got his head in one spot. Oh, what a big left by Laura. Yeah. Laura, oh, I think, he's, I, I think this fight's done. And if you go to the Boxing for Free Facebook page, you can see the ending to that fight. It's just vicious. You can tell that Alvarez has no idea what the hell is going on. I have no idea what his game plan was. I I am I was kind of baffled because I thought, you know, don't get backed up in the ropes. What are you doing? Why not move? Try to clear your head. But no, I, I it's almost like he kind of knew, all right, this is it. L- let's just get this over with as quickly and... Uh, Pain, painfully as possible, because I, I cannot imagine that Laura's shots uh, did not hurt him. Because, as Lennox Lewis would later point out, like they seemed very accurate. They were constantly landing on the chin. And that's the thing about Laura. He is, you know, he may not look dangerous starting out, but if you give him the opportunity, he will take you out. I've been saying this for years on this podcast, okay? Don't forget who was very instrumental in getting the uh, fight between Lara and Canelo Alvarez. That was me. You know, history may not see it as that, but trust me, you know, I, I was a driving force. But yeah, a tremendous performance by Eris Landy Lara. Did what he had to do, got this guy out of there in two rounds. Beautiful. And what's even better is that he's got a... Uh, a junior middleweight title again. A lot of people were saying, rightfully so, that this was a mismatch. But I also saw a few people saying, if there's anybody who does deserve an easy fight, it's somebody like Eris Landy Lara, somebody who has always won the toughest challenges. He has always fought the best whenever it's been available to him, and who hasn't always gotten the benefit of the doubt. I mean, the Paul Williams fight, the you know, that, that, that was clearly a, a robbery as much as I love Williams, one of my favorite fighters of all time, but he did not win that fight. The Canelo Alvarez fight, in, they were saying on the on the broadcast that was a close, controversial decision. I had that fight for Arislandi Lara, and then the fight with Jared Hurd. I mean, so, you know, if anybody deserved an easy night, it's been Arislandi Lara. And after the fight, uh, he said that he would be interested in a rematch with Canelo, but he also gave, uh, threw out another name out there, and it, m- more of like an invitation to move up and uh, to challenge him, and that was Errol Spence Jr. I put my foot on the scale again. I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move that out of the way. But okay, Errol Spence Jr., that, that kind of surprised me. I did not expect to hear his name thrown out, especially by Eris Lendi Lara. You don't usually hear that. You don't hear 
uh, bigger fighters calling out smaller fighters, saying, come on up and fight me. You know, the, the only time I've, I have I can recall that was, you know, somebody like Marvin Hagler wanting uh, Leonard and Hearns to fight him, and he was talking about that before uh, they actually fought each other in 1981. I, I think it's in a book somewhere. I, he's quoted as saying, whoever wins the, the Hagler, sorry, whoever wins the Leonard Hearns fight they're going to end up losing because they have to fight Marvin Hagler afterwards. But um, I was a bit surprised to hear Errol Spence, uh, his name mentioned as a possible opponent by Lara. But personally, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, right now, Errol Spence is signed to fight Sean Porter at the end of uh, this month. I almost said next month, but it's uh, September 28th. Very excited for that fight. It's a very good fight between Errol Spence and Sean Porter. They're both champions. Uh, obviously, I'm leaning towards Errol Spence. I am not going to bet against him until I actually see him lose. But at the moment, I can't see him losing to Sean Porter. The way he just outclassed and dominated Mikey Garcia in his past fight. Uh, yeah, at the moment, I'm leaning heavily heavily towards Errol Spence. And another reason why it's probably not going to happen is uh, Spence, if he gets past Sean Porter, he's going to want to go for a fight with Manny Pacquiao. Pacquiao holds the WBA title. And if Porter unifies the IBF and the WBC with, his, uh, with a victory over Sean Porter, this would give... Uh, Pacquiao or Spence if they fight an opportunity to become undisputed welterweight champion be a tremendous fight if it happened Uh, I I feel a bit bad for Terrence Crawford he seems to be the odd man out and yet a lot of people regard him as one of the best if not the best in the division so uh, it's very tricky and let's just say that a fight with Pacquiao does not get made if Spence is victorious over Porter. I still don't see a fight with Errol Spence and Arisandi Lara getting made because even though Lara is older, he's 36, but you wouldn't have uh, guessed that seeing the way he finished Alvarez. Lara is unfortunately, this has been his problem throughout his whole career. He is high risk, low reward. Okay? You, you can he doesn't have the biggest fan base he is very dangerous you know he gave canelo a very difficult fight i still believe he won that fight i'm sorry and he does not make it easy to uh to win all right ask jared hurd like i think the only way hurd ended up winning his fight was he was able to score a knockdown in the final round otherwise the fight would have been scored a draw if i recall correctly of course but i i, I just I don't see it happening, and I don't see a rematch with Canelo happening, all right? Canelo ha- Canelo had to be forced in that fight, okay? De La Hoya, you know, I, I remember them talking about that fight, and he was saying, oh, bad fight. I, I, uh, I, I did not want this fight for Canelo. Of course he didn't. He knew that it was not going to be a, a, an easy fight, and, you know... Regardless, but Canelo has bigger fish that he wants to fry, and the name of that fish is Sergei Kovalev. Which brings us to last week, 
when Kovalev uh, had probably a, diff a more difficult than expected fight against the undefeated Anthony Yard. Uh, Kovalev scored a TKO in the 11th round. I put a gif of it on Boxing for Free's Facebook page, but what, what actually surprised me was that he knocked Yard out with a jab, but just, just a it just landed right on the button and it just sent yard back and down and that was it good night and um it, but it, uh, it, it was more difficult than a lot of people probably expected probably kovalev as well um he uh, looked like he was close to being beaten in the eighth round uh buddy mcgirt told kovalev actually at one point that he was going to stop the fight if he took similar punishment again and you can tell that's weighing heavily on Buddy's mind, unfortunately, due to the tragedy with Maxim Dadashev. So that was probably weighing heavily on Buddy McGirt's mind, and it's probably going to for the rest of his life, unfortunately. But uh, luckily, Kovalev was able to come back and knocked out Yard. Like I said, beautiful, beautiful jab. Just threw it out there, right on the button of Yard. And that was it. End of the fight. But now the big talk is a fight between Sergey Kovalev and Canelo Alvarez. And I'm thinking, oh, um, okay, of all the light heavyweights out there, why does Canelo just want Kovalev? Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something. You know, maybe, maybe test the waters with a fight with somebody like Badu Jack, Jean Pascal. I mean... Jean Pascal looked very good in his last fight against Marcus Brown, but no, he wants Kovalev. Um, as, as much as I do not like Canelo and uh, his ability to get decisions when he doesn't deserve them, in my and many others' opinions, gotta admire the balls on him. Uh, I wouldn't want to fight a guy like Kovalev, and I'm 160 pounds, pure muscle, by the way, but... Um, yeah, I I just thought, wow, that's uh, whew, that that that's a fight that's you know very interesting, but uh, oh wow, I mean, r r very risky. But at the same time, based on how Kovalev looked in his last fight, I mean, hell, Buddy McGirt said that he was close to stopping in the tenth, and uh, Kovalev almost looked out of it in the eighth round. Maybe maybe this is just what Alvarez wants. Uh, who knows if the fight does get made would be very interesting. The question is, do you hold it in Vegas? Uh, probably. I don't think a lot of people want to go to Russia. Maybe hold it in Mexico. That would be a huge draw, but, uh, we'll have to wait and see. That's all I've got for this podcast this week. I am go probably going to be doing another one in the lead up to Sean Porter versus, um, Errol Spence Jr. I might try to get Matt Lewis back on the podcast to discuss that fight, as well as, now this is another fight that I'm really excited about, Anthony Benavidez versus, uh, I almost called him Andre, but Anthony Durrell. Andre is the uh, less talented brother under the care of Dr. Shawhai. Uh, no, but Benavidez versus Durrell. This fight was discussed uh, back in, so that would have been March. Yeah, uh, Benavidez knocked out Jay Leon Love 
just looked absolutely dynamic. He's 21-0, and 18 wins by way of knockout. Anthony Durrell, 33-1 with one draw, 24 wins by way of knockout. That only loss was in 2015 to Badu Jack. You know what? Very good fight, in my opinion. That's just mine, though. But um, I'm actually surprised that Durrell is still fighting because if I recall last year, I heard on a broadcast that he, uh, I think it was a PBC broadcast, that if he didn't get a, uh, a title shot by the end of 2018, or rather, doesn't matter, title shot or not, I thought he had said that he was going to retire and that he just wanted a title shot quickly, but uh, in 2019, in uh, February, he got one, won a technical decision, and the uh, WBC Super Middleweight title. Now Benavidez wants that title back, because apparently it was uh, stripped off of him, if I recall correctly. Either way, great great fight, great matchup. Uh, I love Benavidez's power against Jay Leon Love. I want to see this fight happen. And I also am looking forward to Porter versus Spence Jr. This is going to be a pretty exciting uh, last quarter of the year for boxing fans, hopefully. Anyway, that's all we have for you this week. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Boxing for Free podcast. You can find us online at www.boxingforfree.com. That's boxing, the number four, free.com. Twitter.com slash boxingforfree. Be like Arislandi Lara, Robert Guerrero, Berman Stavern, Millerad Zizek, Adonis Stevenson, Glenn Johnson. Wow, that's a lot of famous boxers and hundreds of others. And follow us on Twitter. Go to youtube.com slash boxingforfree and like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash boxingforfree page. You can subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, and several other podcast directories. If you use iTunes, give us a review and let everyone know that the Boxing for Free podcast is your source for boxing news and commentary. I'm Andrew Schweitzer. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time. Cab driver, drive by Mary's place.